0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, President of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Well, welcome to this week's edition of God, Law, and Liberty. As we continue this little mini-series on Christian nationalism. And last week, um, to help you with your recollection, we talked about the fact that the cancel culture and Christian nationalism smack more of Jean-Jacques Rousseau's book The Social Contract than they do of the Bible. They sound more in the tenor of the French Revolution than the Protestant Reformation. And I decided today, before launching into Rousseau's chapter on religion, to lay a little bit more groundwork regarding this social contract theory. You may recall last week that I said if you see people grounding political authority, governmental authority, in the first instance, as the predicate for it, in social contracts, agreements among men, You need to put the book down because it can be dangerous until you've had more information by which to properly evaluate it. And I realized after last week's episode, I probably should explain that a little bit more and why this social contract uh, conception of government and uh, the legitimacy of civil government's authority gives rise to the kind of religion that Rousseau had that now uh, is the predominant version of Christianity in America. So I thought I would start by, by, by giving you a few quotes from Rousseau's opening to the social contract, where the chapter on religion will eventually be found, regarding the nature of political authority, give you the counter to that idea from uh, Abraham Kuiper in his lectures to the students at Princeton Seminary in 1898. And then infuse into that some language from a book that uh, or booklet pamphlet that's um, an apology for civil liberty, you know, explaining why Americans should strive for civil liberty. That smacks of social contract theory and is distant from uh, the reformed protestant view that kuiper speaks about and then i think having laid that foundation it'll be a little more clear as to how this government grounded in consent leads to a civil religion that produces both christian produces both christian nationalism and counter and cancel culture as two sides of the same coin of civil religion so i hope that wasn't clear as mud but anyway here's how rousseau begins his book on the social contract or he says alternatively principles of political right Rousseau begins by saying man is born free, and everywhere he is in chains. And so he sets about to try to describe how it is that man has liberty in the social order with civil government. How do we still have a social order, civil government, and yet uh, the human liberty into which man is born free. Now, let's just begin right there. Man is not born free. Man is born under God, subject to God, ordered by God. We talked about that with William Blackstone in the beginning of his commentaries uh, on the common law, that everything in the whole universe has a Nature governed by laws pertaining to its nature, and while man has reason and has the ability to make choices, uh, uh, he's constrained by those laws of his nature. So man isn't really born free. I mean, to say that I'm really born free-free means transgenderism is in fact correct. Homosexuality is in fact correct see, so we have to be real careful right there with making such a broad statement. So Rousseau then tries to determine how is it that we have rightful political authority, and here's what he says. The social order is a sacred right which serves as the basis of all the others. That, again, is a very interesting statement, isn't it? It doesn't place God as the basis of any right, sacred or non-sacred, let's say, and as the basis for all other rights. It's grounded in the social order. So our rights are coming now from the social order, not from God. But then he says this. Yet this right, this right in the social order and the rights that come from the social order is not derived from nature. It is therefore founded, turning a page, upon agreements. And it is a question of knowing what these agreements are. So authority of one person over another, and the whole social order from which our rights come are founded in agreement. Now, I would hope you would see very quickly that if that's the case, then um, if you happen to be in the minority side of the agreement, or you don't happen to like the agreement, but yet you're under the agreement, well, uh, you may have no rights. You can lose your rights. Because the agreement may say the majority makes the rights. But listen to what he next says. Because you have to say, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. What what about the family? There, 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 there's, there's not total liberty in the family, right? Now listen to how he explains the family. And this is where we're headed, my friends. This is where we're headed with transgenderism, the right of self-identity and self-expression with the reordering of what marriage is. Next will come the reordering of the parent-child relationship. And so all the organic natural ties of the family uh, flowing through marriage into parent-child relationships will will be loosened and destroyed. And here's why. Listen to what he says. The oldest of all societies, and the only natural one, is that is the family. We would say, okay, I get that. But listen what he does to nature here. Even so, he says, the children remain bound to their father only as long as they need him to survive. As soon as this need exists, excuse me, let me repeat that sentence, as soon as this need ceases to exist, the natural bond is dissolved. Now, just this last week, I was talking to my daughter, who is 34 years old, soon to be 35, and I said, I am not your parent in that I can parent you at this point, but I will always, so long as I exist, be your father. That natural tie does does not dissolve. But notice what Rousseau says, In his next sentence, the children, free from having to obey their father, and the father, free from having to care for his children, return all alike to a state of independence. Now, it is true. My daughter is independent of me, and I can't make her do things. I can't punish her to make her do what I think is right as I could when maybe she was a three-year-old or a five-year-old or even a 16-year-old. But here's what he next says. It, it just you see, he just keeps destroying things. If they continue to remain united, they do so not naturally, but voluntarily. And the family itself is maintained only by agreement. See, that's that's what's happened to marriage. Marriage no longer has a biologic organic tie between man and woman, it is choice and agreement and how I want to identify myself as married, even if there is no natural tie, and the force of law must come to my aid to permit it. And that's what's going to happen with the parent-child relationship if we're not vigilant, And right now, I don't think we are, but that's for another podcast. This is what he then says. Next sentence. This common liberty is a consequence of man's nature. His first law is to see to his own preservation. His first concerns are those he owes to himself. Now, the idea there that we exist for the glory of God, we have an objective reason for our existence, you see this devolves into this subjective, it's all about me. That's why the focus is, is so obsessive in the church today with soteriology, because it's about me. What do I do to get saved? not, who is God, what has he done, and how can I know God and bring glory to God as the one who alone is worthy of glory and honor and praise? It's about me. So see, what we've been talking about in regard to subjective and objective theology comes into play here. You see what Rousseau is doing. He is making everything about me and me and me and I and I and I, even the family, when when I reach adulthood, exist only by voluntary agreement. So, in other words, I I guess you'd say I'm, I'm no longer the father of my daughter. My wife's no longer her mother, right? Unless we agree to continue to choose to be in those roles, not realizing that we are in those roles as father and mother the rest of our life, maybe not parent, I'm the Father, then what we really are saying is that we can either be faithful to what God has created and joined together, or we can act treasonously and abdicate. That's really the decision so rousseau continues in the very next paragraph the family therefore is if you will the first model for political societies and here's how he describes that the leader is like the father and the people like his children and all having been born free and equal alienate their liberty only for their own advantage so now what we have in political order in the political society and what we have in the family is everyone alienating their liberty as mother as father as child for their own advantage you see we have injected here this idea of an autonomous freedom that is actually a freedom from god that accepts no givens, but but agreement only. You may say, yes, David, but the family is different. But what I'm trying to draw here is that, that Rousseau has exalted the idea that the social order is only based on agreement, and so he has to somehow countenance, how does the family fit into that? And he says, well, it's actually just by agreement, too. Okay? Now, let's Let's move on here to what Abraham Kuyper says. Kuyper says this, which sounds a little bit like Rousseau. No man has the right to rule over another man, otherwise such a right necessarily, and immediately becomes the right of the strongest. As the tiger in the jungle rules over the defenseless antelope, so on the banks of the Nile, a pharaoh ruled over the progenitors of the Fallahin of Egypt. So, in this little booklet published this year about uh, liberty, a couple of statements are made. Notice that it's similar to the question that Rousseau asked. On what, or whose authority, do you, make claims on me without my consent? This is a fundamental question, and it demands an answer. The next sentence. God made everything and everyone. Who then are we to arrogate power to ourselves to subordinate another man created in God's image? You see, that sounds a little bit like Abraham Kuyper. The that continues nowhere does God grant permission or give directives to rule over or subdue another man without his consent now maybe here the author is speaking about without God's consent but I really don't think that's what the author is getting at I think he's getting at without my consent because that's what he says who can you how can you rule over me without my consent and I didn't consent to you ruling over me, because we are all equal. Now as to that, Kyber offers this rejoinder, saying, Nor can a group of men by contract from their own right compel you to obey a fellow man. What binding force is there for me in the allegation that ages ago one of my progenitors made a contract social with other men of that time, as man I stand free and bold over against the most powerful of my fellow man. So he's saying, even by agreement, you see, by the contract social, that can't be the basis of one person's authority over another. My consent uh, is not can't be based on the consent of somebody that wrote and signed and ratified the Constitution. Right? That was in 1789. Why am I bound by that? And what Kuiper says, authority over men cannot arise from men. Now, the author of the little book that I'm referencing would have said, absolutely, that's true. So, we can see that and we say, oh, well, that's that's great. That's wonderful. He's affirming that authority comes from God. but But then turns around and says, but... But it has to come by consent because if i don't consent you have no authority to tell me to do anything but that's what Kuiper just condemned and damned that's really saying that the authority over me arises from men now typer goes on to put some scriptural flesh on this he says thus the word of scripture stands by me king's reign Well, not all kings, were they, were by consent of the governed? Sometimes they were by conquest. Or as the Apostle Paul elsewhere declared, the powers that be are ordained of God. Therefore, he that resisteth the power withstandeth the ordinance of God. Every civil government authority is ordained of God. And by his providence, we get the government that we have. And if to not have a government founded upon consent makes that government illegitimate and unjust, then we have accused God of injustice, of establishing nations under authorities with rulers where there was not consent. So we have just said that God was unjust when he whistled from the north to bring in Nebuchadnezzar and and take over and rule and carry off the people of Israel. Uh, God was unjust because they didn't consent to that. And then when God sends the Medes uh, to take on uh, the Babylonians, the Persians, well, oh, that was unjust of God too and uh, herod and caesar and all that see how unjust god has been throughout the centuries see what happens when we begin to not think theocentrically kuyper continues talking here now about john calvin and he says calvin considers a monarchy and an aristocracy as well as a democracy that's really what you're getting to with the concept of agreement. Because who gets to be part of the agreement? It, it needs to be very democratic, right? He says he considers them all both possible and practicable forms of government provided it be unchangeably maintained that no one on earth can claim authority over his fellow man unless it be laid upon him by the grace of God. And therefore, the ultimate duty of obedience is imposed on us not by man, but by God himself. So when God allows an unjust ruler to take over his people, it is just because God is doing justice. And our duty of obedience is not to the tyrant, but to God, who has seen fit to discipline us by putting these awful people over us, that perhaps we might begin to cry out to God. And I don't see too much of that going on in our country, except we want a different kind of tyrant. Now, he goes on and says, The question how those persons who by divine authority are to be clothed with power, see, it's by divine authority, not by agreement of men, are indicated cannot, according to Calvin, be answered alike for all peoples and for all time. That's what I was just saying. God hasn't always allowed people to have government by agreement. He goes on, though, and says, yet Calvin does not hesitate to state, in an ideal sense, the most desirable conditions exist where the people itself chooses its own magistrates, but where such a condition exists he thinks the people should gratefully recognize therein the favor of God, precisely as it has been expressed in the preamble of more than one of your constitutions, referring to the state constitutions, quote, grateful to Almighty God that he gave us the power to choose our own magistrates. You see, the point is this, Rousseau says the social order is the key thing from which everything else comes and that social order because we're all equal has to mean therefore it's uh, there has to be consent and so we see this idea that if I haven't consented to this form of government then then it's a illegitimate government well I didn't consent to this form of government I happened to be born into the United States of America and I got the government that's here People are born into Russia, and they get the governments that there. They, they, they're born into Mexico. They get the government that's there. They didn't agree to that government. We'd have to have agreement all the time. I mean, the, the concept even fails. But the biggest problem with the concept is that it is deriving authority over men from men, and that in itself is tyrannical and it leaves God out. And and there you can see, I hope in today's podcast, how there are Christians advocating for an understanding of the legitimacy of civil government, grounded in something that sounds more like Jean-Jacques Rousseau than Abraham Kuyper, and what the Bible says, as to all governments are established ordained and under the providence of God, used by him to serve his purposes. So with that I'm gonna end our podcast for today. And next week I believe I will be picking up the the chapter on religion and beginning to show how this contract theory creates a form of civil religion that leads to Christian nationalism and cancel culture. And I hope you'll join me next week for the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's FACTennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at FACTennessee.